Let's turn now to the New Testament and to the first letter of John and chapter 1 and reading at the beginning of the chapter. First John chapter 1 and at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Amen. This is God's word. We pray that you're blessed to us with that uh, reading from it. Now we turn to praise God from Psalm number 63. And at verse number 5, Psalm 63. Sorry. Psalm number 36 at verse 5. Good job, somebody's on the ball. Psalm 36 at verse 5, page 251. Thy mercy, Lord, is in the heavens. Thy truth doth reach the clouds. Thy justice is like mountains great. Thy judgments deep as floods. From verse 5 to verse 9 to God's praise. Lord, thy 
First letter of John and chapter 1, and we can read at verse 5. First John 1 and at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so on down to the end of the chapter. But it's clear as we read through this letter that John has a close relationship with those to whom he is writing, and very much he speaks in using family language and uh, family addresses to those who are around him. He speaks of little children, for example, at the beginning of chapter number two. But John is careful to establish the authority with which he is speaking. Sometimes we can be confused in, in a family setting that, that we soften what we have to say and, uh, and we make life easy instead of exercising authority and discipline we may choose not to do that but John is careful to root exactly what he has to say with the authority that he has from his relationship with God and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we see that's what he does from the very beginning of uh, the chapter and we see especially from verse number three that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. In other words, John is establishing his authority and saying that whatever he says to them comes not from himself, but through him from the God who speaks. It's a different way to the way in which Paul introduces himself when he regularly says that he is Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. John uses a more perhaps personal way of of going into the privilege that he had himself and they had and coming with that message. And when he comes with that message to those who, who are a church family, we see that through these verses that there is a focus on communion. There is the way in which he and they are going to have fellowship, communion together and going to do so according to particular 
guidelines and within particular boundaries. And we read through the letter and we see the way in which that communion is threatened. And that communion is threatened in perhaps three particular ways. Threatened by what some people believe. Threatened by the way in which some people live their lives. And threatened by the relationships that they have with each other. Three major threats to their communion with God and with Jesus Christ and to the very flourishing of this Christian community. And when we further uh, look through the letter and perhaps stand back from the letter, we see one particular thing emerging. And it is the fact that where there are bad Christians, it is because there is bad theology. And we can never get away from that fundamental fact that if we know God and know about God and learn about God, if we know Jesus and and learn about Jesus, if we have the theology, then our lives, our relationships will all fall into the right place. And today we want to think about that and to think about these verses and recognizing the threats to the communion and, and their experience and as we prepare ourselves to remember the Lord's death that we will think in these verses of communion and the holiness of God. We want to think first of all of the character and we see the character in the words that John uses in verse number 5 God is light. He is always light. And we can certainly understand light as something that communicates. If we want to have good communication, we communicate with light. Technology was revolutionized when we moved to transmitting light instead of electric signals. And when we moved to transmitting light along optic fiber cables, there was speed of communication, there was clarity of communication, and there was little or no loss of the power of the signal. And when we read that, that God is light, and place that into the history of the church of God in the Old Testament, we understand and see that light is the means of communication. And we saw that in Psalm number 27. The Lord is my light and my saving health. Light is the communication of salvation to the psalmist. We see in Isaiah chapter number 60 where, where God is speaking to the people and encouraging them beyond the work of the servant, beyond the, the thirsty people who have, are given promises in Isaiah 55, the ones who experience salvation, God says this to them, I rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God is light. God communicates salvation and the most magnificent way 
in which God, as light, has communicated salvation is that he has sent his Son into the world. The Son, who declares himself to be the light of the world, the Son concerning him, the same John says, in whom was life, and the life was the light of men. When we see the Son of God coming into the world, it's the light shining in the darkness. It's the greatest communication that God has done that we see the purposes, the plans, the salvation of God in the person of the Lord Jesus. That's so when we read God is light, it speaks to us of God's covenant salvation of God's covenant relationships with his people. And we, we today seek to place ourselves under that beam of light and to find ourselves as those who have salvation and to believe in the Son of God as our Saviour to understand that all of that is rooted in God, in the God who speaks to us from his word and who has spoken to John. The character of life that communicates salvation. But I want us today to see that that is not the focus of what John is saying. That when John is saying God is light, he is speaking more of the very character of God. He is speaking more of what God is. The God who came down on Mount Sinai and whose appearance was like a devouring fire. In other words, it was the, the, the brightness of the redness of the most intense light as well as heat. It is the character of God that shines on Mount Sinai. It is the glory of God that shines. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And when we see the glory of God shining, it is the, the shining of the essence of his holy character, God is light. He is completely and perfectly holy. And it is that God who has that holy character that needs to be heard by this community to which John is writing so that they will understand that the God who is holy in his own character makes demands of those who are his own children. In other words, the holiness of God forms the character of those who are the children of God. And that's what God was saying to, to the people of God in Leviticus and in chapter 11, where he is reminding the people and saying to them, he is the God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and reminding them and commanding them, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
the holy character of God that forms and shapes the lives of those who are the children of God because they must be the children who are walking in his ways. And in so many different ways in the New Testament and in the Old, that's what we see God saying to his people and commanding his people. In Exodus 19, which is repeated in Second and First Peter 2, if you keep my commandments and, and, and obey my voice, you shall do me, be to me a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, my treasured possession. And Peter uses the, the same words in, in chapter 2, where he speaks of them as those who are to proclaim the excellencies of the God who has called you. In other words, they are to be the children of God in their character and the children of God in their lifestyle. And so today when, when I think of communion and I think of the holiness of God, I remind myself and we remind each other that this impacts on all those who are the children of God. And where are we going to find the children of God? We are going to find them where lives are shaped in this way, formed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, and so that, like father, like elder son, like children, we will see the family of God. And it is for, for you and for me today to, to ask ourselves that fundamental question of our claim to be the children of God and how our lifestyle is there to support that claim as we move on. The character of God, the character of the children of God, and a lifestyle that supports that very claim. That leads me, secondly, to the communion itself. The right kind of character gives the communion that we seek to enjoy and that we seek to celebrate. And when we think about communion, we want to see, first of all, the way in which John draws attention to a contradiction. And contradictions are important. They're important in defining who and what we are because if I say this and the opposite is true in practice, then there's a clear, glaring contradiction. And contradictions deny and, and erase and wipe out our very profession contradiction. And we see in, in verse 6 that he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him. In other words, 
God is our friend as he was the friend of Abraham. In other words, we're walking with God as Enoch walked with God. In other words, we're like the Son of God himself, who was awakened morning by morning to hear the voice of God because he was walking in communion with God. It is fellowship. It is sharing in the one thing. If we say we have fellowship with him. And that's the, the profession that we are going to make as we prepare ourselves to sit at the Lord's table. We have communion with God and therefore we are at the table of communion having communion with the other children of God as we partake in the sacrament of communion. But there is that danger of contradiction if we are saying we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. There's walking in the light. There's walking in darkness. And in very simple terms, walking in darkness is to be close to God. It's to be going the opposite direction of God. And it is to be living life in accordance with the way in which the world which is in darkness lives its life. And once we read that against the very claims of, of having fellowship with God, then the whole picture crumbles and our profession means nothing. It's like an empty eggshell with nothing on the inside and an, an empty eggshell that, from which nothing comes to show that, that, that we are the children of God. Walking in darkness. Are you closed to all that God is saying today? Are you going in the opposite direction to the way in which God wants you to go? Are you living your life shaped and conformed to the world in which you live? These things cannot be true. Bad Christians are there because of bad theology. And we can never dovetail these two things. If we have communion with God and we are the children of God, we cannot be walking in darkness. And if we are walking in darkness, he is saying, we lie and do not practice the truth. And when he is speaking of lying, he is speaking not simply of, of withholding the truth, but of asserting the very opposite of that. It's claiming one thing by profession, and it's proclaiming something else by the life that they are living. It's living the lie in the sense of doing the opposite of the truth and therefore not practicing the truth. Communion and the contradiction. How we need to learn to examine ourselves. 
and learn not to have the wool pulled over our own eyes by ourselves, to kid ourselves into thinking that we are the children of God when there's such a loud voice that speaks from the direction I'm taking, the life that I am living, and my being close to God that, that, that speak to me of so much that is the very opposite of that. And perhaps it is always the case that the biggest danger is the way in which we deceive ourselves and not the way in which we are deceived by others. How we can kid ourselves and live the life that is a blatant contradiction of the profession that we claim to make and are called to put into practice. But against that contradiction, there is the life of communion if we walk in the light. It's walking in the brightness of the shining of this God who is light. It's walking in a life that's, that's completely open to God. Open to God in receiving from him. Open to God in living for him. Open to God in having our minds and our lives transformed by his word. Walking in the light. Stepping around wherever we go and never forgetting that we are the children of light. And if we do walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And it is perhaps an interesting question in passing. Who is he referring to when he says one another? Is he talking about the Christian community to which he is writing? Is he talking about them and himself? Or is he talking about them and himself having communion with, with, with God, as he mentions earlier in verse number three, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we can say it is all of these things because as soon as we are walking in the light uh, under the, the shadow of God, living the, the life that is transformed from within by the very power of his Spirit in our hearts and lives, that we have fellowship with each other. We have the truth and we have the gospel and we have the truth as it is in Christ as the thing that we share in together. And that communion that we have with one another is a communion that has at its base and perhaps at its pinnacle it's the communion with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There is so much in our lives that will bring about a circuit break in the light that shines. So much sin in our lives that it is impossible for us to continue to walk in the light without some agent or agency working in our lives 
to ensure that the circuit breakers are always repaired, to ensure that nothing comes in to bring about the darkness, and to ensure that if anything does happen that brings about the darkness, that there is a remedy, that there is a call that goes out so that there is immediate help to restore the communion, the fellowship. That's where we come to the person who's at the very center of communion and fellowship. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. Blood at one level is meaningless. What does my blood mean? If I cut my hand or, or cut anything, my blood is not going to change anything. It change me if I don't stop bleeding. But it's not going to do anything for anyone else. But when I read about the blood of Jesus, I understand that the interpretation of that is found in the sacrifice of the Old Testament and especially in Leviticus 16 and that great day of atonement when sacrifice was made, when sins were, were laid on, on, on the goat, on the two goats, and when the sins of the people of God were taken away. And once that happened, they had access into the presence of God. They were cleansed. And so I'll take that great day in the life of the Old Testament church, and the day becomes the day of the cross. The sacrifice becomes the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. The blood becomes the way in which he gave himself as a sacrifice for my sin on the cross, and therefore the blood of Jesus, the blood of life given over in sacrifice, cleanses from all sin. The unclean person couldn't go through the door into the presence of God until he was pronounced clean according to God's remedy. And so here, in this marvel of communion, as we walk in the light with our God, there is that real sense of the whole communion being dependent upon and being maintained by everything that Jesus did when he died on the cross and everything that is resurrection means. And so communion is all about the death of Jesus. It's all about the power of the death of Jesus. And so when, when the Lord Jesus commands his disciples and commands the church to remember his death until his return, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus says that, when I read that command, I'm alert to the significance of the blood of Jesus in my everyday life. And I'm alert to the need to profess my faith in him, to give thanks to God for the power of the blood of the Son and to consecrate, to set apart my life to him more and more in the communion which continues to develop my Christian character 
and transform me more and more into the likeness of the Son of God. Character. Communion. And finally, I see confession. And I see confession against confusion. Contradiction is powerful, but confusion is even more powerful. And I see confusion here in two particular ways. I see confusion, first of all, with regard to the presence of sin in the reader's lives. In verse number 8, if we say we have no sin, and of course we know the truth that says that we are all sinners. We know what we say in our prayers, forgive us our sins. And we know that we can so easily say that we know we are sinners. But do we really believe that? John is aware that there are those who don't believe that at all. They are saying there is no ongoing sin in their lives. And as soon as that is being said, we can say that a sinless life, seen in that sense, is a Christless life. Because as long as you sit where you are, and as long as you're able to say, deceived into saying that you have no ongoing sin, then the blood of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ remains pretty normal. You hear about it, you imagine it, but it doesn't change anything in your life. And again, we can so often be led to believe that although there is sin in our lives, we can kid ourselves into accommodating it so that we can live and learn to live with it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And there is also the other confusion with regard to our status as sinners. And we see that in verse number 10. If we say we have not sinned, from day one, we haven't committed one sin. It would be such a different world if that was true for all of us. If we were like Adam, as he came from God's hand, had not committed a sin. But the fact of the matter is that we are sinners by our very nature. And there is the confusion here that are those who simply did not believe that. Life was normal. There was no need to think about sin. Sin wasn't really on the horizon. No matter how much they heard the gospel, they were quite happy to live life without any sense of Christian commitment to the Lord and without Christ in their lives at all. How we need to guard against the confusion. And today, if you have that confusion in, in your mind, in, 
any of these ways or, or in any other way than how settled you are without Christ. And the only explanation why you can hear about sin and hear about salvation and not appreciate the preciousness of what God has done in Christ. The confusion. But there must be the confession. That's our, our whole way of life as the children of God depends on, on, on this very process. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we make confession of our sins, in simple terms, it's saying the same thing about our sin as God says. Here is what God says about my sin. The confusion is taken away. I come to that place where I see what God says about my sin and about my sinnership. And I embrace that. And I come to God with that. And I, I, I repeat, as if it were, God's definition of my sin and of my sinnership back to him. It's taking ownership of everything about sin that God says by way of nature and by way of practice. Confessing my sin. And that takes us to the very nerve center of our life as the children of God. That there is the, this process of confession of sin that arises from the appreciation of our sin and of our sinnership. And as soon as we do that, by the grace of God, of course, but as soon as we do that, the holy character of God is now engaged in this faithfulness to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He comes to take away the sin that is such a problem. It is the blood of Jesus that keeps the coming in the fellowship going to verse number 7. And there is no forgiveness without that same blood. And so the confession and the forgiveness feeds into the communion so that we come to remember the death of the Lord and we recognize these crucial fundamental things about the children of God and about the God who is the father of his children. Let's today remember these truths that should be unforgettable. Let's remember about the character of God who is light, who demands that our lives are conformed to his word. Let's remember the communion through which we are walking with God because we are embracing his word and we are living in the light of the demands of his word. And let's have the constant confession through which we enjoy the forgiveness of our sins being taken away and where we come to find that peace with God which he has established, the God who has reconciled everything 
through the cross of the Son and remembering always that without the shedding of blood on Calvary's cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we bow before you and we pray that you will give to us open minds and open hearts to receive, to hear your word, to live for you as your children here, to hear your demands, to rejoice in walking with you and in knowing your peace day by day as those who understand the preciousness of the blood of your Son uh, through which we have forgiveness and peace with you. Bless us and bless your word as we pray and go with us and go before us. Having mercy, for we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is psalm number 97 at verse number 9 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 360. Psalm 97 at verse number 9. For thou, O Lord, art high above all things on earth that are, above all other gods thou art exalted very far. From verse 9 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. For thou, O Lord, art high above all things on earth that are, above all other gods thou art exalted very Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.